0: I moved to Austin in 2009. I moved pretty arbitrarily to an apartment complex out by Lake Travis. I used to go to the gym every day after work where there was um, a group of pretty good looking guys that were there every day, one of which kind of caught my eye a little extra. 10 years later, we are married and those people are still some of our closest best friends. But now, after work, instead of going and working out, because I fancy myself a mermaid, I grab my shampoo and conditioner and I actually wash my hair in the lake all summer like a crazy person. But I am the only Austinite whose water bill goes down. And that is why I love Austin. My name is Amber Rebold, and this is I Love You So Much.
1: Welcome to I Love You So Much, the Austin 360 podcast, a show for everyone caught up in an ongoing love affair with Austin, even if it's complicated. I'm your host, Tali Mosley.
2: I'm Omar Gayaga,
1: And I'm Addie Broyles, coming to you from
3: the shores of Lady Bird Lake in the offices of the Austin American Statesman.
1: In this week's episode, we pose the question, who's making waves in the Austin food and drink scene? It's cutthroat out there for bars and restaurants, but Matthew Odom, Austin 360's restaurant critic, tells us what new restaurants you should be watching for, what the current best barbecue standings are in Austin, and even what tops his taco list for San Antonio. Austin prides
3: itself on being entrepreneurial. But just how young and age does that start? We talked to two high schoolers and two grade schoolers about the upcoming Austin Lemonade Day and what it means for kids here to start a business.
2: On this week's Web Report, it's all about Austin hospitality. With summer coming up, Eric Webb ranks top local tourist attractions so you know exactly how to show out-of-towners an Instagram-worthy good time.
1: We'll end, as always, with our recommendations in a toast, but let's start with Matthew Odom, who took a break from his restaurant beats to tempt us with some new bites.
4: Matthew Odom, welcome to I Love You So Much. Thank you, guys. Great to see you. It's been a long time.
3: Shout out to (laughs)
2: cannon,
4: Matthew Odom.
3: (laughs) Let me guess, you've been eating since we saw you last. I've
4: just recently been eating. I just came from a place called Better Half. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Which is a newish bar and restaurant, all day cafe they kind of bill it as from the guys who own Brew and Brew over in East Austin. And I was actually there doing a little research and there's a tease for my best sandwiches in Austin list, which comes out in a couple of weeks. So I was there eating their redfish torta.
3: Yum. So you work on lists all the time of best sandwiches, barbecue, pizza, but you also do a lot of roundups, just keeping tabs on new restaurants that are opening. And we've already seen a huge number open this year. Can you take us through some of the highs uh, that you've seen?
4: Yeah. And you know, of course, some of these I haven't been to yet because I like to wait for two months usually until I go in, even if I'm not going in to review, just because I think you need to give people some space to work kinks out, and since I am a critic, I don't want to go in three weeks in, have a bad impression, and then have that affect my review later on. Usually, I can keep that separate. Uh, If there's a place my friends are really dying to go, like Suerte, which is a Mexican restaurant in East Austin in the old Dario's spot. Uh, Some friends wanted to go to dinner a couple weeks ago, so I went a little early to that spot, so I won't give an official review on it, but it's a very uh, hip new Mexican restaurant owned by Sam Hellman Moss, who's one of the founders of Odd Duck and Barley Swine, and they nichimalize all their corn in-house and make their own masa for tostados and tacos, and I think they have tlacoyos there. Um, So that's an interesting restaurant over in East Austin. Um, Another Mexican restaurant that is an old name, but a new location, Polvo's, Mm. everybody's favorite on South 1st Street, has opened downtown in the 360 condo tower. So it's odd that we don't have more Mexican options downtown. I can think of Manuel's. Uh, there's La Candesa And so Polvo's is a nice, interesting new option. Do uh, you like Polvo's? I, I do. It's, n- you know, not the cleanest, I don't think, all the time. It's a little greasy. But I love their uh, shrimp fajitas. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like the vibe there. You know The, it, the salsa
2: it, bar is impressive to out-of-towners. It's <laughs> always like,
4: whoa,
3: that's so many salsas. I always take out-of-towners there. Yeah, yeah
2: people love it. And friends of
4: mine who, you know, kind of... Look with a side eye at the new Austin restaurant scene. Always hold up Pulvos as kind of their antidote to that. And now uh, you can get it downtown. You can get it in downtown. In condo building. <laughs>
3: uh,
4: there's another place called Brewer's Table, which I have not been to. It just opened uh, in late April. Jake Maddox is a longtime Austin beer veteran. Opened this place. That the idea is that they're giving as much credence to beer as they are to food, and they're using uh, many of the same ingredients. And so you're going to see parts of the fermentation process end up in the cooking process. And it looks like a really beautiful space. I don't know how much money they spent. But uh, judging by the pictures, it's in an old Quonset building over in East Austin, pretty deep East Austin. Uh, so that should be interesting to check out. Um, more Mexican Cruz Teca. Down on Brody Lane is from the guys who own the Malizo's taco truck. And so they have finally got their own brick-and-mortar spot, which should be exciting. Uh, seafood Guild from the Wu Chow and Swift's Attic family has opened a restaurant on North Lamar at 38th and North Lamar near Central Market there. Uh, so that should be interesting. Um, of course, probably the biggest opening of the year so far is... Uh, Tyson Cole and his group from High Hospitality opened Loro on South Lamar, and that was a collab with Aaron Franklin who worked on the smoking with them and on the brisket. So Laura is kind of a Japanese smokehouse, Pan-Asian flavor is mixed with smoked meats, uh, smoked fish. And so that's probably the biggest opening of the year. Recently got uh, name-checked in a really great article in the New York Times by Brett Anderson about our surging Japanese scene here.
3: So what do you think about this idea of the combination of barbecue and Japanese? Do you have high hopes for it?
4: Uh, you know, I like the idea of cutting smoky, super savory stuff with acidic flavors and balancing it. Um, so... It, It should be interesting. I haven't gone deep on that menu yet, Um, but I know that Aaron has always been a fan of Uchi. I know that Aaron, his palate as a diner kind of tends to be uh, more interested in those cleaner, um, acidic flavors and those brighter flavors. And so I think it's interesting. I think it's definitely an interesting collaboration. Um, Those aren't two guys you'd usually expect. They're two of, I think, maybe seven James Beard winners in all time in the state of Texas. Uh, two of only three in Austin. And so they're, you know, I would say they're the two biggest chefs in Austin uh, by a, a good distance in terms of name recognition. So that place has already proven to be very popular. It's much more casual than Uchi. Uh, you order at the counter. You have the food delivered to you outside. It's interesting. You go in, you order food, you pay for it at the bar. They give you a number. And then when your food is ready, they bring it to your table, uh, because they have some kind of software that tells them what section... You're sitting in, so when they come by, they're kind of eyeballing your table to see if they see the right number, and then they drop the food. So while you have a buzzer, you don't use the buzzer to then go back to the counter. They bring you the food. So it's kind of, uh, you know, a little
2: you know, Jedi service. You know, Luby's does that without the software. <laughs> well, they put <laughs> a flag up. they bring the food out to you. <laughs> <laughs>
3: it's I think it's cool. Tyson Cole's been busy in other cities outside of Austin for the past five or six years, opening up new restaurants, so it's neat to see something new from him. Uh, anything else on your list that you wanted to get to? Before? before we uh, start asking you some other questions?
4: Brand new stuff.
2: I guess you're just going to have to wait and see see what I review next. <laughs> well, one place you have visited that's fairly new uh, is Fairground, which is right across the bridge from us at the Statesman. I have been there several times to have some ramen or get a quick uh, Contigo burger. Uh, you did a roundup of some of the best dishes at Fairground. And first, tell us, I keep trying to explain to people where it is, and they're like, wait, what? Under a building? What?" Uh, so tell us where it is, and, and what are some of the dishes that you've enjoyed there?
4: So Fairground is in the subterranean level of the 111 Congress Building, which is on the east side of Congress Avenue in between Cesar Chavez and 2nd Street. It is our first kind of modern food hall. There are, I think, six different vendors in there. Antonelli's Cheese, Henbit, which is an emmer and rye um, offshoot, Contigo, as you mentioned, Nikome, which is the Kome Sushi and Daruma Ramen team opening up uh, a place that serves sushi and ramen. Daidue has opened Daidue Takaria, and then Easy Tiger does pastries and breads and sandwiches and coffee drinks. And so my my piece was the 10 best dishes at Fairground. I ate pretty much every dish. At all six of the places, uh, over it must about, be nice. Yeah, it, I mean, it took about six weeks. Wow. Took about six <laughs> weeks, um, but I did hit everywhere. I'd say my favorite concept um, there is is Henbit, which is Imran spin um, spinoff thought it was interesting that they didn't use the name Emmer and Rye since it has some name recognition in town. It's one of the top six or seven restaurants in town on my last uh, dining guide I believe at austin360.com slash eats but what they did was something uh, more casual but they still have that attention to detail. Uh, they still source really well so they do things like these healthful bowls that you see everywhere uh, salads. They have a squash and avocado salad that's really great uh, a crispy short rib bowl a really great breakfast burrito. I'm not even a breakfast burrito person, uh, but they make this great breakfast burrito with sausage. They make their own white Sonoran tortillas that speaks to uh, Kevin Fink's love of heritage grains. Uh, so I'd say Hinbit is, is definitely my favorite out of that group, but they all have something to offer. Contigo, as you mentioned, has that nice burger. They also do a rotisserie chicken. The um, the I love Antonelli's. I don't know if y'all spend much time there, but when I go into Antonelli's, the best part about being there is just doing all the tastings right um and the the cheese shop up in hyde park but you can only spend so much time tasting cheese before they decide they're gonna call the cops or run you off and oh, so I've been, I've been there yeah you've been you've had the cops <laughs> call. I've had, i had the cheese <laughs> thing the cheese <laughs> south by southwest 100 foot oh, oh. uh cheese bar you're not allowed in the state of wisconsin yeah, like, you had enough sir <laughs> but they do these uh cheese toasts so one of them has this creamy cassatica cheese uh with pear and drizzled with a little bit of honey and arugula so it's sweet and bitter and creamy and crunchy. Uh, so those are great. Those are great snacks. They also do plowman boards and charcuterie and cheese boards and things like that. Um, the miso ramen at Nikome was really great. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, the thing about that is even, I think on the menu it says, give us like 20 minutes because, you know, some of this stuff is not going to be You know, out in three, four minutes, the way it's not fast food per se. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think people going there need to temper their expectations a little bit. You know, I think with Contigo, that burger should take about 12 to 15 minutes to cook, Mm -hmm. but they par cook it and then finish it. So, I think it only takes about seven or eight minutes, but e- even that's going to take a little bit longer than you would expect. They're not just sitting there on the grill ready to be pulled off at a
2: moment's notice. I was there um the day after it opened, and you know the lines were you know, as you'd expect were pretty big, and, and the waits were pretty long. I've been there back there about maybe three times um, at dinner time and at lunchtime, and it's fine. Like the lines are pretty short, you know, maybe four or five people you know per place. And you get in and out, you know, you can get in and out in a half hour easily.
3: I really love the tacos at the taqueria. Yeah, the Didue. taqueria is great. They, They're nationalizing their own corn. That's a, definitely a trend we're seeing in, in Austin. People taking their own corn, making their own masa, and making their own tortillas. Matthew, I wanted to transition really quickly to ask about your barbecue list. You oh, just yeah. published that earlier this year. Everybody loves barbecue. Any big news on your changing of favorites?
4: Well, I had a new number one, which I know for many people won't be a new number one, but I, I moved Franklin Barbecue from two a few years ago to number one just because I can't the 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 brisket's just incomparable. Um, and I've learned to kind of love the line. I do have the luxury of go I go once or twice a year and I sit in line, get there around eight AM on a specific day. Uh, I usually try and wait when the weather's bad. And I can work from my phone, I can work from a laptop. I have the luxury of not of being able to carve out five hours of my day to get there at eight and leave at one if I need to or 12. Um, so I've learned to kind of enjoy the line. They handle the service there so well. Um, but a couple of places that are, have that were new on my list because they weren't open previously, Leroy and Lewis is number two. They are a trailer in South Austin. Uh, they do you know different offcuts of meat, like beef cheeks that you don't often see at other barbecue places. Um, They only do brisket once a week, but it's phenomenal. And then Valentina's Tex-Mex Barbecue uh, has long been a trailer. It's now down in South Austin. They'll be opening up hopefully sometime this year. It's way down south off Manshack. They smoke over mesquite, which uh, can be tricky, but they pull it off. They make their own tortillas for uh, tacos, but you can order it uh, by the plate. and It's still just as good. And uh, La Barbecue was my number one previously. It's number four. Uh, So those were the main ones. I'd say the the biggest outliers that people might not be familiar with, Texas Ranch Barbecue is a trailer on South Congress. It is out in front of the new Azul Tequila, um, which has been open, I don't know, for about six months or so. Marco Marco Oglesby uh, runs the trailer. He used to work out in Spicewood at Opie's, and he was also a regular diner at Azul Tequila. Did I say Azul? Papalote on South Mm, Congress, mm -hmm, I'm sorry. mm -hmm. Uh, Same owner, and uh, Sergio Varela. And so Oglesby used to be a regular customer at Azul Tequila, and he would tell Sergio that he cooked barbecue out at Opie's, and so Sergio went out and had his food and loved it. So when it was time to open a barbecue trailer, uh, they did that. So they're another one that uh, blend Mexican and barbecue a little bit by being out in front of a taco house.
3: Well, one last question before we let you go. Speaking of Mexican food, you just spent uh, a bunch of time in San Antonio eating at Taco yes, and you came back with your 10 favorites?
4: Yeah, I spent a few days, uh, a few weekends down in San Antonio. Uh, briefly, I would say, you know, San Antonio, I've never been to a city that has a food culture as ubiquitous and overwhelming as tacos in san antonio like there's no city so defined mm-hmm. by one food that i've ever experienced um you can find you know 20 taquerias on one you know five mile stretch of road but there's uh, la barca de jalisco serves really great goat um cabrito they serve uh, really good fish tacos Uh, carnitas loña is a carnitas only place from a chef uh, alex paredes who used to work in some uh, more upscale kitchens in san antonio Uh, he does really simple carnitas on homemade tortillas and then my favorite place in san antonio for tacos is maria's and it's uh, run by a woman and her daughter and sometimes her husband maria's cafe it's on nogalito's uh, everything they do there is wonderful from the carne asada. They do a, a breakfast taco of brisket with egg on top. Um, pretty much everything they do there is, is wonderful. The people are so nice. It kind of feels like eating in an old vintage store, like your, your aunt who can't throw anything away his house. <laughs> uh, so a ton of personality, great flavor, Classic San Antonio, Maria's Cafe on okay, Nogalitos.
3: Okay, so now if they want to find the listeners want to find the complete list of either your San Antonio uh, restaurants that you liked, your barbecue list, the fairground. How can we find you online? How can we find some of these stories?
4: So these lists from fairground to San Antonio to barbecue are all at Austin 360com dot slash eats e a t s. I'm on Twitter at Odom O D A M. Instagram for all the good looking food photos is Matthew Odom O D A M. I feel like the taco wars are over. San Antonio. there was never a they taco won. war. San Antonio is, undisputedly, a better taco town than Austin. That's okay. We have the barbecue. We're fine.
2: Yeah, we we have
4: we have better barbecue than they do. They've got some. They've got some contenders. Okay. Well, we'll talk about that next time. Thank you for joining us, Matthew. Appreciate Thanks, it. Matthew. Thanks, guys. Time to go eat.
1: Are entrepreneurs made or born? We talked to the next generation of startup CEOs about their very first lemonade stand in time for Lemonade Day, which falls on Saturday, May 5th. Joey and Rowan, thank you so much for coming to
3: the I Love You So Much studios. Wait, that's really the name? That's the name of our podcast.
5: Okay, that's just really. So
3: congratulations. You all are about ready to participate in Lemonade Day, which is on May 5th on a Saturday. Good thing you don't have school that day. You couldn't do a lemonade stand on a day you had school. So listeners, we want to let you know that there are a thousand kids just like Rowan and Joey in Austin who are going to be selling lemonade this weekend all over the city but you guys know each other from school is that correct yep. yes okay and you have had lemonade stands before right one and t- one and and tell me what that was like Joey running your very first lemonade stand awesome. Rowan what did you think
5: uh, it was
1: very complicated but we had a lot of fun So what was complicated about it, Rowan? Did you have to come up with a cool recipe? Was it hard to get all the pieces together?
5: Yeah, it really was.
3: Yeah. So um, one of the big things about Lemonade Day is that they try to teach kids about entrepreneurialism, which is a big word I think I just (laughs) mispronounced. But um, what do you think, what does it mean to be an entrepreneur? Do you know what that word means?
5: Uh, an entrepreneur is
3: the runner of his or her business. Very good. That is so, exactly right, Joey. When you guys are running a lemonade stand, is that like running a business? Kind of.
5: Yeah. It's not like someone's gonna be like you do this, you do that, you do that, blah blah blah, whatever. Yeah.
3: So that's a lot of responsibility to come up with like a business plan and like mar- how do you how do you even get people to come to your lemonade stand?
5: Attractiveness. And what what, is, what does that mean for
3: a lemonade stand? Like
5: have a big fancy sign, maybe have a cute mascot, like a baby sister or something, <laughs> and, or a pug.
3: A pug baby would sell pog. a lot of lemonade. So when you guys were coming up with your lemonade recipes, you guys know I'm a recipe writer, and so I wanted to know if you guys have any you know secret tips or, or ingredients, or we were brainstorming cool flavors of lemonade. What kind of lemonades do you think you'll serve this year?
5: Uh... Uh so what we did uh when me and Joey r- ran our lemonade stand uh we did uh regular lemonade and bubbly lemonade which is uh half lemon
1: sparkling water
5: Yeah half uh lemonade and half club soda
3: Ooh I bet that one was
5: Which one was the bigger seller? It
3: was a uh, bubbly lemonade. The bubbly
1: lemonade. Hey, not exactly. surprised at jo- all.
3: Joey, you talked about maybe adding blueberries to your lemonade.
5: Uh, I I said strawberries. Oh, not
3: strawberries. That was me who said blueberries. Blueberries. I love it. And so, but you know, when you run a lemonade stand, you can make a lot of money. Mm-hmm. What? How much? How much were you guys making before? Like 500 dolla dollars. Uh-huh. Uh, like five hundred,
5: four hundred. Really? We're not yeah. kidding. numbers
3: We wow. got
5: a hundred dollars for a tip. What? <laughs> Whoa, yeah. So did System. did you guys make
3: any plans for selling or uh, saving any of that money, or did you have to pay your parents back for the ingredients? We
5: paid my mom like twenty dollars back, but we kept all of our money, and now I can get what I want—a in Nintendo Switch.
1: Congratulations! Oh. What about you, Rowan? I
5: didn't. I uh. I got to keep all the money, and you decided to save it. Well, I did spend some of it at the book fair. Oh, so, yeah, good that's good use of your
3: wonderful. money. So, here is my last question for you guys: What do you get out of doing a lemonade stand that is not about money? Go, Joey. What do you say?
5: Um, I definitely say it's fun to be um, giving people a good or service mm-hmm. and um, making them not have to go to a. Store and buy like a whole canteen of lemonade for like $20 and you're only going to get one. And like selling like tw- $2.50 for just one bottle.
3: Yeah, you give people the opportunity to support a local business. Yeah, buy a local. Yeah. And, also,
5: and also, you're not making them go to the store to buy a big jug of lemonade. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, that's like $50 that's when they're only going to use like half of that. Yeah, and you're that's only true. Use $25. Okay, Rowan. You, Rowan? It was mostly fun. yeah. Uh, it's really fun working with your friends or not uh, just uh, having fun
3: yeah yeah spending time with your family. That's a and great your friends. reason to run a business. You know yeah. and anytime we've run lemonade day stands or lemonade stands, it's great because the neighbors come and see you and people that you might not necessarily know from your street or your neighborhood and you get to meet them. Yeah. That was always my favorite part. So, <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, th- thank you guys so much for coming in and good luck on Lemonade Day this year. Yeah, Joey Rowan, thank you so much for coming to I Love You So Much.
5: Thank you. No problem.
3: We just heard from two Lemonade Day stand entrepreneurs, and our next guests were once in their shoes. Ten years ago, Rohit and Siddharth Srinivasan had their own Lemonade Day stand, and the experience eventually led the Westlake High School students to start their own company, Trashbots.
6: So what Trashbots is, um, is we're a highly affordable robotics kit that allows teachers to teach skills like robotics, coding, problem solving, and creativity uh, to kids in kindergarten all the way to 12th grade all over the world.
3: And if I'm not mistaken, that encompasses you guys.
6: That does encompass us, um, yes. At I'm, least for
3: a little bit longer.
6: Yeah, I'm, I'm a senior at Westlake High School in Austin, Texas.
7: In
3: Siddharth?
6: Yeah, and I'm a sophomore at Westlake
7: High School in Austin, So you guys
3: Texas. are only two years apart in age, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. And you have been entrepreneurs now for a little while. Tell us how <laughs> the seed of entrepreneurialism got started for you. And
2: you've been brothers for even longer. Yo, we
6: have, <laughs> man. For, for quite a while, actually. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> brothers for about 15 years. Yeah. Um, give or take. Give or take. <laughs> so
3: did the Lemonade Day really kick it off for you?
6: Yeah, I think that the Lemonade Day was um, our first taste of real entrepreneurship. Um, and it was like the first, and it, we, we left us wanting more. Mm-hmm. Um, it was it was really great to be able to uh, ex- experience entrepreneurship and that sort of being on the ground, being able to do it. Uh, especially at a young age, is, is something that you, know, you really don't get the opportunity to do anywhere else, um, and you don't get the opportunity to do really anywhere else unless you, unless you try to go and experience it, um, especially as a young person when you don't know what entrepreneurship is, and it's this buzzword that people constantly talk about. Um, it really it really drives you and really motivates you.
3: And uh, you guys were the ripe old age of six and eight six when and you eight. participated. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so why do you think lemonade works as a first soft business?
7: Yeah, I, I think it works. It's, it's for a few reasons. Uh, the first one is you're kind of starting with what you know, mm-hmm. right? Uh, millions of kids all over the U.S. and Canada, they've experienced what exactly Lemonade Day is. At, or No, sorry, what exactly Lemonade Stand is and how it goes, how you go about doing it right making lemonade and selling it for a dollar a piece or even less than that right and kids have either participated in that or uh had had bought lemonade lemonade from a lemonade stand before so a lot of kids are familiar with this mm-hmm. Another way another reason is it's uh you're learning by doing it's not sitting in a classroom getting lectured by a teacher and having a teacher bestow concepts to you and you having to take notes and take a test over it. you're actually standing up there interacting with customers, learning about how to market how to find a unique product how to uh make a storefront that looks appealing to people who are coming to your uh coming to your stand It's learning about all of those type of stuff I think the third reason is that. Lemonade Day gives you a very structured uh, curriculum or give a structured way to go about uh, learning about entrepreneurship and learning about these skills uh, when, when you're doing your lemonade stand. So, just for those three reasons, I think uh, main reasons. Sure.
2: And I and, know and it's been a while since since uh, you did this, but what do you remember from that first experience? Like, do you have a very clear memory of what that was like?
6: Um, believe it or not, I actually do have a quite clear memory of uh, my Lemonade Day experience more than the actual Lemonade Day itself, I mean, yes, I do remember it. It's what I learned from the Lemonade Day uh, and, and the lessons I learned are, are what I think stuck with me more uh, even to this day. Um, it's actually really amazing to see how much or how impactful uh, running a simple Lemonade Stand can be. Um, and we learned, I learned three really important things from the Lemonade Day, which even today I use every day. Um, the first thing I learned was, was to be unique. Um, and for being unique for us is we decided to create a raspberry watermelon-based lemonade, uh, which was m- much more healthy than, than typical lemonade. It had much more fruits in it. Um, and, and we went and charted out uh, what the health content was compared to your traditional Minute Maid lemonade. Get a
3: competitive advantage there with your nutritional yeah. analysis. <laughs> exactly.
6: <laughs> um, and, and we were right outside of a yoga studio, uh, which so we were able to cater better to the healthy people who were going to yoga to go... Um, yeah, they, they you know quick refresher after that workout. Um, they could get some lemonade uh, that was healthy.
3: What were the other two things you remember?
6: Um, the second thing was be opportunistic. Mm-hmm. Um, we quickly realized that we could make a lot more money selling our lemonade in bulk to wealthy yoga moms than we could selling it by the cup to local kids on the street who were you know who had only pocket change. Um, you know, yoga moms definitely have a lot more money that are that they're ready to spend with.
3: Okay, what's the last one? You're holding <laughs> me at the at edge of my seat.
6: Uh, and the last one is is it's it's being socially responsible. You know, be giving back to to the where you came from, giving back to the community. Um, for us, we actually went and gave to a, a local nonprofit called the Miracle Foundation, um, which runs orphanages uh, in in southern Asia. And why that felt really great was. Um, you, we were helping out kids who are our age who are in a difficult situation around the world, and and just giving back, and and you know seeing the impact of what our small you know, donation, you know, we gave half of our profit away. Seeing the impact of that was was really great, and actually started a, a great relationship with that nonprofit. Um, which we're still very active in today. Yeah, you
3: mentioned you guys have been several times with the Miracle Foundation to India.
6: Yeah, for the last uh, what four
7: or five years, we've been going to India and teaching in uh, orphanages wow. uh, managed by the the Miracle Foundation. And that, that actually, the learnings from that was the genesis of our current, event, current venture, is the Trashbots.
3: Wow. So, so oh good.
2: Oh, so I was gonna say, so so let's talk a little bit about Trashbots itself. Um, where where in the timeline of like, a you know, you, when you start a business, you have an idea, you start a business plan. Like, where are you on that timeline? Are you actually like, is this already in schools? or Are people already using it?
7: Yeah. So <laughs> where we are on this, uh, uh, on this journey is that we have our uh, our product and we've developed it, but right now it's made using 3D printing, right? It's not very scalable, obviously, because 3D printing, you can't yield that many products in a certain amount of time. But uh, we have the product and we've tried it out with schools ranging from uh, urban, rural U.S. to uh, rural areas of Peru at the invite of the education ministry to the colonias of Mexico to rural India. So, we have uh, manufactured these kits in house uh, so far, and uh, right now we're taking the steps steps to actually scale it and uh, fulfill the demand that we've seen. We've actually seen uh sixty uh, plus school districts order over a thousand
6: kits, and just trying to fulfill that demand by scaling. And, and I want to add that that was with we've we've no marketing, we don't have a marketing budget. You know, that's from tweeting it once. Um, And and one more thing is that I wanted to add about that was um, we have seen that our product has great market fit. We're a low cost, easy to use, uh, solution that h- allows students to learn computer science and and robotics and engineering if they're a kindergartner who is just starting their educational journey or if they're a twelfth a, a grader in in high school who is getting ready to go go into a major university to start learning computer science, mm-hmm. um, we're applicable at all places and it's it's you know it's very easy to bring into the classroom. So because of that, um, we have too much demand that we were able to to be able to take care of, especially as two high school students.
3: I wanted to ask, uh, do you where do you go for your you know peer-to-peer business well beside your brother hey man i'm having a really rough day with my business uh like do you have other peers at westlake that are also starting businesses or are you already networking at ut or or just in the business community uh, community at large
6: um so one other you know one big piece of advice that i would say is to give to to, entrepreneurs is go out into the community and find adults who who can mentor you and teach you we in fact have a third co-founder uh, his name is Paul Austin. Um, he was he's the he's an ex chief architect at National Instruments, um, and he's fifty something years old. You know his his kids are his youngest kid is older than us, mm-hmm. but he's also the third co-founder of Trashbots, and um, he full, spends full time working on Trashbots and developing it. Um, you know he is his title is you know part of Trashbots, and he spent a lot of time in the education space developing educational products. Um, he's just one of the people who helps you know, who works with us. And, and there are also numerous people, you know. There's, we have people who, work, who specifically advise us on the electronics within our component. We have people who specifically advise us on curriculum. So don't feel afraid to go out and ask because there is no way that um, two high school students, two young entrepreneurs can go solve uh, a meaningful problem by themselves. Um, you know, that's why they haven't been solved yet. So go out and, and recruit people, bring them in, and and you just don't f- feel afraid. Don't feel like oh your age is a th- age is an issue. Don't feel like you're unexperienced because it's really easy to learn. You know, learning is is one of the most e- easiest things to do, especially if you ask. You know, that's that's all it takes.
2: Yeah, Austin in particular has a very supportive scene for entrepreneurs and startups, I and mean, we've got Product Camp. We've got South by Southwest. Exactly. Yeah, you've got all of these okay. uh, entrepreneur lounges. You've got a lot of resources at your disposal. Being just being in Austin, mm-hmm. starting a business, and
6: you need all these massive tech companies. And the meetup scene here is is pretty vibrant, which which we've seen as well.
3: Pretty cool. It all started from a little lemonade stand. <laughs> well, uh, if people want to find out more about the company, maybe sign up for one of those kits, how do they find you online?
7: Yeah, so like I said, we're about to, uh, I might have mentioned it, we're about to launch our Indiegogo campaign, which is like a Kickstarter campaign, to um, find that demand and allow people to order uh, these kits. So in order to do that, uh, we're going live with our Indiegogo page, and so you can find out more information about that on our website, trashbots.co. Uh, head over there, and we'll have the link live right when it's... a. Uh, Right when we go live with our campaign.
3: What's the earliest that people might expect to actually receive a kit? Maybe later this year or next? Yeah, it
7: would definitely be later this year. Uh, just because we're using that money to cut the check for the
2: manufacturing, uh, we can turn around and start manufacturing kits right away. Great. So by the time uh, you listeners hear this, that Indie campaign, IndieGoGo campaign, will have launched. So congrats, guys. <laughs> Thank we'll you. we will taking you into the future to tell you about your past. <laughs>
3: <laughs> congrats on the business so far. That's really cool, though. Thank Thanks you so much.
2: got Eric Webb with us for another web report. Eric, what do you got for us?
0: Okay, so you might have heard that Austin was named the best place to live in America for the second year in a row by U.S. News and World Report. So I am personally excited by that. But if you took a trip through the States and Facebook comments, you would see that not everyone felt the same.
2: Grumpy gusses.
0: Yeah. Some of the comments included, if by Austin you mean California, then yeah, California is the best place to live. Go move there. And another person wrote, no, 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 there's a misspelling. It's visit, not live. Ha ha, silly goose. Please correct as soon as possible. So this really plays into the whole, you know, please don't move here vibe the Austinites have seemed to uh, put out there. At least least the very vocal Austinites. We we don't want to
2: personally identify these ambassadors to
0: Austin? No. But we have
3: to admit that the city would not function without tourism.
0: Absolutely true. So
3: what do you think people should see when they come to Austin?
0: Well, so, yeah. So with that in mind, my thought is if you don't want people to live here, then you should at least tell them where to go visit while they're here. You know, at least be a good host. Didn't your parents teach you to, you know, receive people with some good old Southern hospitality? Maybe you were raised in California. Maybe. Yeah. Well... Yeah, exactly. Yeah, these are probably you transplants. Yeah. So with that in mind, I uh, in the web report, we have done several rankings before. We did a Halo Top ranking. We did a Halloween candy ranking. We did a Thanksgiving side dish ranking. So now...
3: These are all epic stories from the past year that you've written. Seriously. Yes, this Memorable. Is, these These
0: are definitely not things I write when I can't think of anything else to write, and I just want to get something into the column space. But I wrote uh, this week about... The Austin tour, famous Austin tourist destinations. Ranked. So you ranked them. Okay, so you, are you gonna them.
3: take. You want to take us through like ten to one, or you want to just say some here?
0: Let's do some. Let's do okay. some highlights. So in okay. the bottom, Sixth Street.
3: Mm-hmm. Can
0: we all agree? Sixth mm-hmm. Street's trash.
3: Mm-hmm. It's
0: garbage. It's covered in trash. That's a good way
2: to like turn your love affair with Austin into like a a like only people, hate, I, hate 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 uh, relationship. The yeah. only
3: place I would recommend people to go on Sixth Street is Easy Tiger. I think yes. they have great baked goods and a fun ambiance, and uh, you know. Mm-hmm you know 6th Street it's, it's not in the heart of the Dirty Six yeah. but it's still down there well, I'm with with
2: you. You. when their kitchen's not on fire a burger at El, Casino El Camino oh yeah
0: yes yeah. there you go also Alamo Ritz is great But so these are again, hey, again. I think we like 6th Street wait okay wait, <laughs> hold on, on. You know, right? hold the presses you need to go back and make <laughs> some uh, changes but no the, the classic Dirty Six experience yeah. that people go to for that Bourbon Street-esque experience 6th mm-hmm. Street is not mm-hmm. Bourbon Street and I very much resent the fact that people try to compare them Bourbon Street has jazz there's no jazz on 6th Street our vomit can't compete with New Orleans vomit. Really. They're actually jazz on 6th Street. No. But it's true. Yeah. So 6th Street, hot mess. Uh, number 15, I got to say it. And again, 6th Street is probably the only one where I would say don't bother. Number 15, Mount Bonnell. Let me explain. I don't hate Mount Bonnell. Mount Bonnell's fine. Mount Bonnell is essentially just walking up a flight of stairs to look at some <laughs> rich guy's roof. That's all it is. It's not really a mount, right?
3: So did you do 15? How many things did you do? We did,
0: I did 16.
3: 16, okay. Yeah, yeah Mount, I could see Mount Bunnell being definitely on the overrated list. Yeah, yeah. I and mean, I think I would put the Ladybird uh, boardwalk much higher than Mount Bunnell. It's easier to get to and the views are, I think, even more beautiful.
0: That's true. It is a better view. Now, I did not specifically rank the boardwalk, but you will find Ladybird Lake mm. at number three on this list, which mm-hmm. would include the boardwalk.
3: Bravo. Bravo.
0: Yeah. And again, I mean, I think we really take Lady Bird Lake for granted. Mm-hmm. Visitors are always wowed by that when they're walking through. town. like, whoa,
2: look at that. Like when they're, they see it for the first time. The Fluger yeah.
3: Pedestrian Bridge is an underutilized hotspot for dates, hanging out, book clubs, meditation. Drum you circles. Yep
0: random pianos that sometimes you find that people have plopped there for some reason <laughs> and actually most of the tops on this list uh on this carefully selected scientifically arranged list that was definitely not written by me partially in bed and partially on the bus to work uh they are all natural wonders that you can find in the middle of the city which i think that is something that really sets austin apart if you think about it we yeah. have these glimmering urban jewels mm-hmm. we have ladybird lake we have zilker park and then we have, of course, Barton Springs Pool. Ooh. And if you stop and think about Barton Springs Pool for just a second, like I was born here and born and raised here, and I think I, I was so sheltered growing up that we never went to Barton Springs growing up, and I didn't go until I was in high school, and I was just like, I was, I was a gog. I was like, wait, no one told me this is here this entire time. It's, wait, wait, wait,
2: wait, Yeah, do we need to backtrack? <laughs> you lived how many years in Austin, and, and someone had to tell you that there was a Barton Springs Pool?
0: I think I was aware of it. I, We've talked about my upbringing. We teach to <laughs> school locally. <laughs> we went. We had a kiddie pool, and that was it. Okay, yeah. No. So I but will say
3: I visited Austin a bunch when I was a kid, and we actually never went to Barton Springs. Yeah, we went floating down the New Braunfels in mm-hmm. in your land, also Omar. Great. But I, um, yeah, I'm
2: I'm I'm working on the New Braunfels version of this list mm-hmm. for some future Wait, You yeah.
3: telling me you've never been tubing?
2: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, where did where did Zilker Park? Where did um. Barton Springs Pool. Barton Springs
3: rank. is number one, Ooh. baby. Ooh, there
0: we go. Of course, because think about it. It's the kind of place where you go, even if you've lived your, your entire life, and you have to stop and think like, wow, like this is cool, and I can't believe this is, I can't believe in the city that has this. You know, That is
3: definitely the number one place that I tell people to go to. So I'm thinking if I were making my own list, it would probably be at the top. Um, Omar, what would you say the number one place tourist assassination that you would send people to be to oh, here would
2: be Oh, that's a tough one um, mm, I, I think like uh, I had a really good experience taking someone kayaking on Lady Bird Lake so mm-hmm. like some combination of like something outdoorsy but right in the heart of the city like mm-hmm. that that hits that sweet spot of like hey we can still get queso within 100 yards of where we're enjoying nature that's great.
3: So, yeah. and you I mean, you guys know me. I'm such a fan of the Cathedral of Junk. I always tell people to go there because that's also something you can't really see anywhere else. That's on the list, I mean, baby. you do have to make, oh, what, where did that fall on there? It's number four. Number four. You oh. do have to make reservations, but, you know, mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. all right. It's true, yeah. And the thing about the
0: Cathedral of Junk is when I was making this list and I crowdsourced a little bit with some colleagues, if you think about it, when you're thinking of, tourist destinations in Austin, it's hard to think of weird places. You know, like, we have, like, a lot of nature-centric places. We have a lot of Texas history-type there's, places. There's a
2: museum of, of the weird in on 6th Street. I've taken people there.
3: Yeah, yeah. I've right. actually never been there. Isn't it any good? It's really cool. It's okay. really neat. Okay, that's good to know.
2: Especially for, like, my, my friend that was visiting during South by Southwest, I took him with his daughter who's way into, like, monster movies and weird uh-huh. stuff. So, oh, my God, her eyes were just, like... I mean, she loved the the King Kong that they have in the room that you can like pose in its hand yeah. like she was That's all cool. about that. Yeah.
3: What what was the very last one on your list?
2: The very like the number 16. The, the worst, oh that was dirty 6.
3: That was 16. Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. down at the very bottom. Yeah. So
2: what what else toward the bottom of the list is overrated?
0: Again, uh oh okay, well this one, let's cause some conversation. Um the bats. Now, as an Austin American Statesman employee, I will say the bats are majestic and wonderful and quite the sight to behold. And you should definitely come and park in our lot and you should watch these leather-winged creatures of beauty grace the skies as they emerge from underneath the Congress Bridge. Who never have rabies. They never have rabies. But as a human being who likes... Nice things. I will say the entire experience smells like a burnt mascara tube and <laughs> the bats don't always come out in
3: great numbers. And it's much later than you think, it's people. It's much later than You're you gonna think is. You're going to wait for an hour.
0: And here's the thing. Yeah. Again, so we work here. The bats are right here. Sometimes when you got to walk downtown after work- is a safety hazard. There should not be that many people crowded on the bridge. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to become the not-in-my-backyard, the cranky Austinite that says don't move here. Stop clogging up my walkways.
2: Well, now we have the scooters that will just take all those people out. So
0: That's true. That's true. I need fun. to get a scooter to take downtown.
2: Well, Eric, thank you for bringing us your list. And where can people find the entire entirety of this list?
0: At austin360.com slash web report. And that's web with two Bs like my last name. Thanks, Eric, as always. Thanks, guys.
1: We've come to the moment in our show where we have a toast. This is where we go around the table talking about things we think you guys should check out. So, Addy, what are you into? I saw the documentary Kedi
3: recently. This is K-E-D-I, and that is about uh, the cats that live in Istanbul. And so, Elizabeth Vidales had tweeted about this, our lovely producer, a couple of months ago, and I was unaware of the, that. In in Istanbul, there are hundreds of thousands of cats living in that city. Like. I mean, that could be, I mean, at least tens of thousands. I mean. (laughs) Did Bob Barker's message not get across (laughs) effectively Istanbul? like like the greatest spot on the internet? (laughs) And all, so it turns out that Istanbul as a port city, ships would come in and they would have cats on board. And so that's why there are Norwegian (laughs) cats and there are Asian cats and there are cats melting all over the world. And so the documentary showcases the lives of pretty much like seven cats and they have names. But the thing about the cats in Istanbul is that they're not really owned by anybody, although people might have them in their homes they but the whole documentary explores the relationship that humans and cats have in this place where cats are fundamental to the society and culture of a city and so everybody in that city has some kind of a relationship with, cats some of them take care of cats. it is their mission in life and it got them out of depressions and like dark places to be the caregiver of cats so they will cook food and then go and bring food to like different cat populations around Aww. the city um but the thing that really moved me was at the end they started getting philosophical about cats being kind of an intermediary between humans and god
1: Whoa. That they really
3: cause you to pause and to not be pause. so wrapped up. <laughs> pause. Uh-huh. <laughs> not be so wrapped up in um, the things that are going on in your life and just to really enjoy the moment and, and have a sense of connection with the world around you and with other sp- you know, basically other souls, even if they can't speak, you know, it doesn't mean that they don't need care and love. But cats also give off like the
1: right kind of love where it's not quite as needy as a dog's love. Totally. Um, no, there and is And they a live myst- their own life. There is a mystical quality about cats that's they're somewhat inscrutable, you know, they can never quite be known. So
2: Well, I, I clean my cats litter box, so I, I feel like it's pretty <laughs> known. Uh, so they're not considered a nuisance, considering that they're like, overpopulated with you cats?
3: You know, the the documentary kind of talked a little bit about how they're threatened in a small way, but if I had a criticism, they didn't really explain like why. It doesn't seem like the city's coming out and saying, these are a nuisance, we need to get rid of them. And there would be a huge uproar. I mean, if you, the documentary, you leave, you leave watching it basically realizing that this is a city of cat lovers, and that um, just the interactions, you know, when you're at a cafe, people just kind of reach down you don't even think twice about a cat sort of like going between your legs and you kind of reach down and scratch it and it just I I I was just so happy when I finished watching that movie that I knew for sure I wanted to tell you guys about it because it really it's going to stick with me for a long time. So
1: Omar looks more skeptical, but no, well I have I have cats, so I
2: (laughs) I have no room to criticize.
1: Do you have a cat-powered recommendation this week, sir?
2: No, but I'll I'll meow the other way. Um, I have been using since my birthday. My brother got me for my birthday a a jewel. A, oh, a sous vide yes. gadget, and this what, what? is
3: J O U L E, my friends, ele- like
2: the electrical unit, I guess. Okay. Uh, and what this does is it is a white tube. It's very small it fits in the drawer. You can can store it really easily and it plugs in and it goes in your pot of water and it cooks uh, food. Oh. So you put food in plastic bags and you're, you can cook steaks, you can cook fish. I have cooked pork chops in it. I have cooked burgers in it. I have cooked uh, veggies. I've cooked carrots and asparagus in it. Um, and it just basically cooks the food very evenly at an even temperature for a period of time. But it takes a little bit longer. I mean like burgers, you're talking 30, 40 minutes. But what it, the problem with my family is, my kids and wife will not eat anything that's pink. You know, they will not eat anything right. that they, they think is undercooked. So for me, pork chops are like a nightmare because it's always undercooked or overcooked. It's you always have tough lamented or this raw.
1: on the show before. Yeah, that's so right. the rest for, of the Gallagas, no pink zone.
2: Yeah, so for me to be able to cook a pork chop that comes out perfect, tender, and all you got to do is just sear it on the you know on the pan for like you know two minutes after it's done. Uh, it, it just makes it much easier for me, and the food actually comes out a lot better. So I have like, chicken, burgers, steaks, uh, pork chops, it, it does it all. Uh, so basically all you have to provide is the pot of water, and you plug it in, and it works through an app. It tells you what the temperature is. tells you when to put the food in and out. Now, I know there's other sous vide gadgets. There's one called the Ananova that's pretty popular on Amazon. What I think sets this one apart, not even having tried the others, is that the app is just real slick, really well done. Everything has a video that shows you exactly what to do, uh, exactly how to season everything. Like you see visuals of everything. Every recipe has step-by-step videos, um, that are, you know, and not blurring sound videos, just very quiet, elegantly done, you know, very short clips, um, that don't take up a lot of your time. And you don't have to go like pull up a computer or a laptop or an iPad. It's all there in the app. Uh, as you're doing it, so and and controlling the device through it, so it's this really- is so
3: cool. I mean, sous vide cooking has been popular in restaurant kitchens for a, at least a decade, and when I first started writing about food, there were all these home cooking devices, and it was you know. Many of them look like a big box of water. You know, it's like the whole container that you would mm-hmm. that you'd use it on. So that's what I think is cool about Jewel is that you use the containers that you're already using, and this is just the immersion. It's a water heater that keeps the water moving and it keeps mm-hmm. it at the exact right temperature. It's, oh, that's so. a, yeah.
2: I should say that it circulates the water, so it looks like it's it's kind of like it's peeing the water. Yeah. Like it kind of <laughs> does a little stream and that that in the water, but it makes it cook and it heats up pretty quickly. Like and I, and it, it what gets, kind of
3: plastic? This is a foodie question. What kind of bags do you use?
2: Just ziplocs. Uh, I mean, you can really? buy you can buy thick or sous vide bags that are that if you're going to cook something for more than like an hour or two, you probably want something thicker that's not going to leak. Mm-hmm. But for just I just use gallon Ziploc bags and they've been working just fine. And and, uh, you know, there's some issues with like if you're using a plastic container, are you getting the BPA or whatever? Mm-hmm. It's like, well, the food's not actually coming in contact with the container or the water. Mm-hmm. It's all like within the the Ziploc bag. So if you if you're fine with Ziploc bags and feel they're safe, then you're good.
3: Mm-hmm. And, and you're not going to get the temperature up to more than like. I mean, one sixty-five for chicken. 180, is the 190, highest, yeah. It
2: never goes above two hundred that I've in my experience. Yeah,
3: yeah. cool.
1: Thanks, Omar. This is uh, the most Omariest uh, and Addiest toast. Addy, I switched brains this week because
2: <laughs> in the cats and I'm into and I'm in sous vide cooking.
1: <laughs> okay, Tully, what do you have this? week? Oh man, my toast is so creepy compared to y'all's, but it's worthwhile. Uh, so. I listen to a podcast (laughs) called Reply All. (laughs) And it's a podcast. I'm sorry. I
2: thought you were going to say a sous vide gadget that cooks cats. (laughs) That would have been the creepy combination. Oh, my gosh. Where is
1: your mind? (laughs) Jesus. Okay. So, my toast this week is Reply All. It's a podcast that I listen to that's kind of about internet culture. Um, It's from Gimlet Media. And I listened to an episode recently called No More Safe Haven. And it's so fascinating. It's about the takedown of this website called Backpage.com. And on this site, they sold children for sex trafficking purposes. So um, they open up with a story from a mother who – this happened to her daughter. Her daughter went to track practice, and then one day she ran away, and they couldn't find her, couldn't find her. They found her on this website being sex trafficked. And so um, – the, this mother and a group of parents lobbied uh, the United States Senate to take down this website and to create a new law that would prevent this from ever happening again, and they were successful. And um, you think, that's great. Like, thank you so much for that, you know, for triumphing. But then there was this outcry on the internet when Backpage.com got shut down. And you think, how could that ever happen? Like, how could something that perpetuates evil How could anyone ever miss it or not want to see it be taken down immediately? So the uh, reporter on Reply All goes and talks to the folks who are upset that it's taken down and it's not who you think and it's much more complex than you think and the reasons are actually, it it sounds weird to say, but shockingly humanitarian. Mm -hmm. So, um, it yeah, it just got me thinking about... um, You know, there's so many times on the Internet you make kind of like knee-jerk decisions about like what's good and what's bad, consequences, da-da-da. This is one of those times where it is very gray and the solutions are not easy. And I just recommend it. It is such a worthwhile half-hour piece of podcast. I do love Reply All. I haven't listened to this specific episode. What's the title? No More Safe Haven. All right. Thanks for that recommendation, Tali. Yeah. Thanks. That's our show. She's Addie, he's Omar, I'm Tolly. Check out the Austin 360 Instagram and Facebook for more about life in Austin. And talk to us on Twitter at LoveAustin360. If you liked what you heard today, leave us a review on iTunes or your favorite podcatcher. It helps other people discover the show. I
3: love you so much. The Austin 360 podcast is produced by Alyssa Vidalis. The show is made with support from features editor Sharon Chapman and the entire Austin 360 staff. Our theme music is from local band Hardproof, which you should definitely check out at hardproofmusic.com.
2: You can find more about the show and its contributors at austin360.com slash loveaustin360. And if you want to pitch an idea for the show or give us feedback, shoot us a note at loveaustin360 at statesman.com or leave a voicemail at 512-445-3672.
1: This show is brought to you by our sponsor, Lexus of Austin. We couldn't do the show
3: without you, dear listeners, and we can't thank you enough for lending us your ears, your comments, and your Avengers movie tickets. Until next week, we'll see you on the Zilker Zephyr train.